0: Yeah, loose limb joy. I'll say, Bless the Lord. You say, Oh, my soul, bless the Lord. Oh, bless his holy name. Thank you. Um, I'm Chris. I'm the pastor here at Kairos. Happy New Year. Um, I don't know what you're doing here because it's for a reason. Um, so thanks for coming out. Um, I know why I'm here. About 35 years ago, God gave me the gift of faith, and I did my best to respond. Um, And in that moment, I asked him to create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And he has done that and he's continuing to do that every day. Um, And I decided I wanted to sign up for this lifelong adventure called the Kingdom of God that will literally take two lifetimes for me to experience the joy and the justice, the intimacy and the intentionality that he has to offer for all of us who are children of God. That's what I'm doing here. Um, I'm not really sure what you're doing here. Um, I know there are some of you in this room who you're alive and you're active in your faith. It's not pretty and it's often not perfect, but you are doing your best to partner all of who you are with all of who God is and listen in for his voice to direct your steps and make your path straight. I know there are some of you who you stumbled in here and you are bruised and you're broken. You're busy and you're burnt out and you know that this place is a place of peace and rest and restoration for you. And I know that the clouds of depression and darkness and doubt and anxiety and fear have surrounded you for a season, but you've decided to wrestle with and through your faith and trust that God will make a way in 2018. And you cry out with the psalmist, I know and declare, I will see the glory and goodness of God in the land of the living. There's some of you who are in here who you're just spiritually curious. You're kind of just considering the claims of Christ. And there are some of you who have walked in here, and 2017, you burnt your life to the ground. And all you have left to show for it is ash. You gave yourself over to every desire, every impulse, and anything that your flesh craved, you gave permission to explore it. And it cracked open the shell of your soul and made scrambled eggs out of your emotions, your thoughts, your decisions, and your behaviors. And you're here tonight because you don't know where to turn to next or what to do next. For all of you, I'm so glad you're here. I am delighted that you would come into this place to encounter the resurrected Jesus. And I believe with every fiber of my being, you will have an opportunity to encounter him but there are some of you in here who concern me. spent the last month praying and reading and studying and writing, and when I think about you, I, my stomach gets queasy, my spirit gets heavy, and I can feel tears start to sear my eyes. You're the kind of people who the Bible would describe in 2 Timothy 3, 5 as having a form of godliness, but denying its power. You're the type of people who Jesus would speak about in Matthew seven thirty three when they would come to Jesus on the last day and say, Lord, didn't we do incredible works in your name? And he will say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Perhaps you're the kind of person who you grew up around religion, and you can kind of talk the talk, but you're not really interested in walking the walk. Maybe, just maybe, someone had you say a scripted prayer, or you participated in some religious ritual, and you thought that's all there was to it. Maybe, just maybe, you've done all these things, but if you're honest with yourself, you've never been born again and you're a stranger to the power and presence of Jesus. Maybe you even came from a Christian family, and if I was to give you a test on Christian studies, you could get an A. But the honest truth is, you're not a Christian. And so I think it's with that in mind that we want to dive into our new series. Um, And it's kind of provocative, Boggs, said it, we're gonna do a series called Autopsy of a Dead Christian. Um, And that means faith without work simply is dead. We thought it was such a strong title, it needed a little bit of humorous artwork. I don't know if any of you guys remember that game. Um, If we had it, it would just drive me nuts because all my kids would do is make sure that the uh, tweezers beep the red nose until the batteries went dead. But for us, what we're gonna kinda look at is What would be evidence that you are, in fact, a follower of Jesus? What are the things that we need to intentionally lean into and learn in this new year to live into the life that God's calling us to live? But for some of you in this room tonight, this is gonna be incredibly challenging because you're not only gonna discover that faith without works is dead, you're gonna discover your faith was never alive in the first place. I'm willing to be misunderstood, but please hear my heart. I'm for you. This is not, especially if you're new, the part where I become the angry preacher and I use fear, shame, and condemnation and point a self-righteous finger at you and I get you to question your salvation so we can run up conversion numbers so somehow I feel justified in my position and secretly hide deep insecurities about my own approval needs. That's not what this is. This is not the time when we're gonna sit back and I'm going to make sure there's an altar call where every single one of you in this room are guilted into rededicating your life. By the way, we should be rededicating our life every morning, so I'm hoping that's already happening. And this is not the kind of talk where I'm gonna break out a legalistic two-by-four of rules and regulations and somehow channel the inner spirit of 1980s professional wrestler Hacksaw Jim Duggan and crack you over the head and give you a spiritual concussion and shout, "Ho! Oh, look at that, right? No. What this is, is a clear and concise, a bold and a brave challenge for us to define Christianity as Christ defined it. This is a resurrection reminder for those of us who are in the room that the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives and reigns within each and one of us. This is not condemnation. This is to be confirmation that you're intentionally stepping into the life that God has designed for you to live, understanding that you're his workmanship and he has created good works for you to do in advance. And we're gonna try to become the people who are ready and willing to step in and not miss a single one of those works that God has intended for us. And so the inspiration for this series comes from a 17th century preacher in London by the name of Charles Spurgeon. Um, Some would argue he's one of history's most prolific preachers. It's hard uh, to quantify uh, the influence that he's had on Christianity. But this was taken from a sermon that he gave at his church, and it was entitled, Eight Evidences of New Life that if you are a follower of Christ, these eight things should be present. And to put them in our terms, if we were to do an autopsy on a dead Christian, here's the things that we would find in their life to prove that their faith was alive. You've always heard this incredible book that's out there that calls Evidence That Demands a Verdict, that looks at the historical realities and claims of Jesus. We're gonna reverse that, and we're gonna say there's a verdict that demands evidence that I'm a follower of Christ. And so those eight things are, we'll put up on the slides, and we're going to walk through them in a two-part series um, over the next couple of weeks, um, is faith in Christ and his gospel, repentance of sin, prayer, new life, new desires, joy in worship, and hunger for his word. So tonight, the first thing that we're going to do is we pry open that Christian cadaver. It, I'm sorry, I'll try to stop with the dead body jokes. Um, it's a great metaphor, I'm just pushing it too far. Um, we're going to look at faith in Christ and his gospel as the first evidence of new life, that we are Christians and we're stepping in to live the life that God has intended us to live. First Corinthians chapter 15, I'll read it out of a different translation because we want to be the kind of people that marinate and saturate ourselves in the word of God. And as we do that, would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? Jesus, would you go before us in this text and make a way? And together we say, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you. So this is perfect. Pastor Paul is reminding his Corinthian church. Here's what faith in Christ and the gospel simply, directly, and clearly is. Which you received, in which which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you of the first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. I'll say the word of the Lord. If you'll say, "Thanks be to God," the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, now stay with me. I'm about to unleash my inner seminary professor on you. Okay, so if it gets too dense to digest. Just hang on in there, ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate your mind, or if at some point you're like, Chris, you're so far off the rails with fancy words, I can't understand you, just go back and reread the text, and God will speak directly to you. It's probably a better option at this point. Um, But in the words of that shrunken head on the night bus in Harry Potter, hang on, it's gonna be a bumpy ride. (laughs) Paul reminds us in this text, that faith is received, it is not achieved. Paul is reminding us in this text, being saved is not about what you can do, it's about what Christ has done. But once we have received new life, we now have been imparted with it new responsibilities. He will say elsewhere, we are to take a hold of that which has taken hold of us. In this text, he's calling us to stand firm in Jesus' in the gospel. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Uh Uh-oh. Does that make anybody else in this room uneasy? If he's saying, otherwise, you have believed in vain, then that means what he's inferring is, it's possible that some of us have believed in vain and never been truly born again that we have a version of religion but deny its power, authority, and claims over our lives. Or as the message translation says, it's just a passing fancy. So let's look at that. Um, What does it look like to believe in vain? Because this is pretty important. First of all, the Evangelical Dictionary of Theology describes faith this way, an unqualified acceptance of and an exclusive dependence on Jesus. So that means if you believed in vain, chances are you had a qualified acceptance and a non-exclusive dependence on Jesus. That just as long as it's comfortable, convenient, or easy, or free, I'm in. The second it requires service, or sacrifice, or hardship, or perseverance, or suffering for the sake of Christ, I'm out. I'm only in this thing for what you can do for me. And when it's not doing for me what I want it to do, then I'm on to the next thing. I may still say certain things that I don't want to cause an uproar in religious circles, but I'm denying its power. These are the uh, there's there's a couple words I want us to walk through here. It is possible to believe in vain if your faith is just simply intellectual, historical, behavioral, or emotional. Now I'm not saying those things are bad. I'm not saying they're absolutely necessary. I'm saying in of themselves they are simply not enough, and that's not faith. Let me explain through scripture. It is possible to intellectually believe and affirm the historical Jesus and not walk in faith. How can I say that? Jesus said about the demons, even they believe and tremble. Demons intellectually believe in the historical Jesus, but they actively rebel against his kingdom and his causes. Some of you, absolutely, Jesus lived, existed, was a great teacher, and yet you're secretly rebelling against his kingdom and his causes. It's not enough in of itself. But to believe in vain, it can't just simply be behavioral. This is where we get confused sometimes, right? Because there's lots of people who, their behavior mimics Christian morality, but their hearts are hearts of stone and their motivation. This is the older brother and the prodigal son who stayed at home and did everything right, yet he didn't have a clue who his father was and refused to enter into his joy. This is also, right, this Jesus Um, he's talking to the Pharisees, right? They are the moral and behavioral elitists of the day where you just go, oh my gosh, look at that church going folk. They are incredible. They're so honest and they're so pure. Jesus looked at them and said about their behavior, you'll cross over land and sea to make one single convert. And when you do, they're twice the son of hell as you are. So it's possible to have Christian behavior and not be in faith in Jesus and his gospel. He also said it to the rich young ruler. What must I do? Oh, you gotta uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, right? And then he says, well, I've kept the 10 commandments since I was a kid. Nailed it. A, perfect behavior, perfect attendance, right, Jesus? It's like, no, you still lack something. Even though your behavior is complete, something is still hanging on in here that's not true to who I am. And it's not just simply emotional, right? Plenty of people encountered Jesus emotionally and did not have faith in him. Our churches are full of people who are emotionally clowning Jesus on Sundays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays, and they're having an experience, but it is leading to zero evidence of faith in their life. Crowds came up to Jesus, man, and they experienced him emotionally. Miraculously, they saw signs, and mysteriously. And they went off, man. They were like, yes, you're the new king. This is awesome. This is great. But it started to wear off. They did that whole feeding the 5,000 thing. Man, that was cool. Yeah, that was great. It was awesome. I can't believe it. Next day, woke up. They were hungry again. Hunting them down and said, dance, monkey, dance. Do that again. Hey, can we put a quarter in your jukebox and you play our favorite song again? Because that made me feel awesome. You know what Jesus' response to them was? You evil and wicked generation. Because you're working, Jesus. You just want him for what he can do, not for who he is and what he wants to do through you. The Bible says that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith in Jesus Christ is surrender and submission, mind, body, soul, and spirit. It is intellectual, it is historical, it is emotional, and it is behavioral, but above all else, what ties those things together, it is relational. It is ongoing interaction and transaction with Jesus through faith by the power of his gospel. Greg Lowry was often asked the question, how do I know if I'm saved? Because again, I understand I'm ratcheting up the tension here, okay? And my goal Again, I, I need to say this because some of you guys have been wounded by legalistic institutions and people who claim that they love God but really just want to beat you down with rules and regulations. Not this at all. This is not me raising the bar as high as I can and go, hey, jump over it. If these nine things aren't evident in your life 24 hours a day, that's it, you're, you're doomed. No, this is taking that bar and pole vaulting with it because of the gospel of Jesus Christ up into the life that he's intended for you to live and to go, those are the good gifts that my father gives, and I have every right to open them up and live into them. So that's, that's where we're headed. So Greg Lowry um, is often asked the question, how do I know if I'm saved? And he tells this story. He says there was a guy who was out of work and he's looking for jobs and every door keeps getting shut in his face. Finally, he comes across the city zoo and figures, man, I can go in there and just try to feed the animals, do something, they, they gotta be able to pay me something. So he meets with the head guy, he says, I'm sorry we don't have any openings right now, but looks the guy up and down, realizes he's a pretty big dude. And he says, all right, you can't tell anybody about this, but uh, I, I have something that I, I can have you do, but, and it pays really, really well. Um, our star attraction, the gorilla, just died, and I've got a gorilla suit over there in the corner. And I need you to get in that gorilla suit and get in that enclosure so that we don't lose money until the new gorilla comes, and no one will ever know guy's like, okay. (laughs) I don't know how I'm going to pull this off, but you're going to pay me. I'll do it. So he puts on the gorilla suit, gets in the enclosure. And before he knows it, man, he just gets into the park. I mean, the suit looks pretty real. He's a pretty big dude. He starts beating on his chest. He's ranking on the bars. People are coming up and looking in, pointing, taking pictures. Kids are frightened and he's just getting into it. Day three, he's he's got the whole spiel down, man. He's working the enclosure, working the crowds. He hops up on the trapeze, man, and he's just swinging like of the Gorilla, man. He's got it. He overcommits, gets a little bit too excited, goes too far up on the trapeze. His momentum carries him. He lets go, and it slings him over a high chain link fence, right into the lion enclosure. Stares at the lion. The lion lets out a big roar. And I'm not gonna fill in the details of what I think would happen at that moment. Um, But he's sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, what do I do? If I cry out for help, gigs up. But I might get eaten alive here in a second. So he steals himself, he backs up against the chain link fence and he's getting ready to turn around and climb up the chain link fence and try to get back over into his enclosure. When all of a sudden the lion starts to stalk him. And he figures, that's it, games up. And he hollers, help! Immediately, the lion responds in a whisper, shut up, you fool, we'll both get fired. (laughs) I love this place and I don't want it to be a place where we whisper and wink at one another we masquerade around in our Christian suits. And when it actually starts to get real or we have to be vulnerable, we have to encounter the sin that still reigns and rules in our life, shut up you fool or everyone will know we're not Christians. We want to be an honest and unique attempt to connect to God and each other. We wanna be a kind of place that engages the whole person with the whole gospel, intellectually, historically, emotionally, and behaviorally, but above all else, relationally. And if you are here tonight and you know that's you, I've just been wearing this Christian suit and playing a part and you've come face to face with the lion of the tribe of Judah, the boldest, most bravest, faith-filled thing you can do is holler help, gigs up. I've been shown for who I really am. But if you're really who you say you are, Jesus, then your identity will vouch for mine. And I want you to make all things new, including all the ways that I've been pretending and positioning myself as being someone I'm not. Amen. So I'm gonna read our scripture one last time. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up and we'll step into 120 seconds. What we love to do here is provide space for you to listen and reflect and hear the voice of God I'd highly encourage you to write during this time, to see what thoughts are captivated, to maybe find a note section in your phone and to engage God in a way that you have heard his voice and then you are able to step in because of faith in his gospel and in him what he's calling you to do. So let me read this for us and then we're gonna try something new. If you're already where you're hearing the voice of the Lord and You're connecting with him and listening prayer? Great. If not, we'll just put up a couple prompting questions on the screen to help engage your heart and your mind uh, during this time. I also think these serve as incredible conversation places where you can be out with someone and just, if you're struggling, go, hey, dude, what did the Lord speak to you during 120 seconds? Or, hey, will you tell me how you answered this question? Because I'm not really sure how I would answer it. We want to be the place that have continuing gospel conversations, and we want to be honest and unique in our attempt to do that. Once more, the word of the Lord. Friends, let me go over the message with you one final time, this message that I proclaimed and that was you made your own, the message on which you took your stand, by which your life has been saved. I'm assuming now that your belief was the real thing and not just a passing fancy, that you're in this for good and holding fast. The first thing I did was place before you what was placed before me so emphatically that the Messiah died for our sins, exactly as scripture tells it, that he was buried and that he was raised from death on the third day. Again, exactly as scripture says. Let's listen together.